Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. All right. Hey, welcome back. Uh, we have this review show where each week we just pick something pop culture to review um, from a music video to like a band that we liked as kids. And, you know, Paul here, our pastor in the group, uh, about two weeks ago, slammed his shoe down the table and said, darn it, I want to talk about Birdemic. I'm like, what is a Birdemic? Paul's like, we got to watch this. So for the past two weeks, we've been watching Birdemic. It's an independent movie. It's a cult classic. We understand what, where we're coming from with Birdemic. But we had all these questions. We were confused. We had a Facebook chat back and forth. We're like, what's happening with the scene? What's happening? And I sit here and say, I don't know that much about movies. we got to bring in somebody that knows what she's talking about. Well, this is Whitney Moore. She played the girlfriend on the movie Birdemic. She was also in Birdemic 2. And we'll talk to her a little bit later. Thankfully, she's her career has progressed past Birdemic, but she's a great sports. She wants to come on and explain what happened with Birdemic, shock and terror. So, Whitney, thanks so much for coming on. How are you today? Well, thank you very much for having me, gentlemen. I'm here to answer any and all questions. It's going to oh. be a colorful conversation. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks. I'm sure there's plenty of things that we might ask that you would not have an answer to at all, but definitely I'm, I'm really interested to hear of some of the, about your experience with the film. Cause from what I understand, this had, was a very, very independent film, uh, <laughs> you can uh, say very that. <laughs> low budget and it took a long time to shoot over the course of well, about seven months or so. Yes. Yes. Like you that. did your, you did Just, your research. People are, are generally pretty shocked to um, learn that it took so long. I can't imagine why. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it was mostly weekends, right? Yes. Yes. Weekends. Yeah, there's a, there's, there's, that's a, when, when you're working super low budget, you can't afford to, uh, you know, step away from the day job too much in order to make the film. That's so, exactly right. Uh, it becomes a labor, labor of love. And, you know, that's, uh, that's, it's an interesting way of looking at, you know, these things that come across low budget and seem, just kind of crazy when you're used to watching very smooth, very expensively made films. Uh, but to watch something that's super low budget, it was it takes a lot of passion to try to make something with so little. Passion, grit, and a, a pretty high dose of bullshittery and convincing people to get on board with your idea. <laughs> I've heard, we haven't talked to Alan uh, Bob personally, but Alan was sharing some story in a BuzzFeed video about, he almost answered it was like a Craigslist type ad. He came in, gave like a 10 second monologue and James Nguyen, the uh, director was like, hey, you're in, you're the lead. Uh, what's your story? How did you get you know, connected with this? Was it an ad? 
how how did you get involved with Birdemic? Yeah, so my experience was I graduated high school. I was freshly eighteen, so a baby still, oh. and I um you know because. I was 18. I was like, oh, and now I can finally start to pursue film, which is what I wanted to move to Los Angeles for. I signed mm -hmm. up for just some casting website that I, I probably typed into a search bar and it was like casting in yeah. the Bay Area. And it was the first audition you to use the term loosely. Um, I, I had, it was in a parking lot in San Jose of a school. It was just James, uh, the director and writer uh, with like a handheld video camera. And he gave me some sides from, I guess, a previous project he had done. And I got the call about an hour later saying that I had gotten it, which, you know, wow. obviously in retrospect, there's a couple of red flags. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was just so excited. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, honestly, I put this on my kind of like my bucket list. I want to be in some type of movie as an extra or maybe give me a line. So I've been bugging some of the independent directors around the high thing. <laughs> if you ever need a podcaster, I'm in. So I understand that. I mean, you know, you're interested in acting and I'm sure although there's red flags, you probably were pumped to get that call, right? Absolutely. I mean, I was I was a child and so I was not really aware of what goes into um, filmmaking in a proper way. And, and there are many examples of that, uh, as, as the filming progressed. So I was just thrilled to get a call and be cast in a movie for the first time ever, you know? So you get the call, you get cast in the film about how long from that point before you actually show up on set. I would say about a month, maybe three weeks. There was a, a brief period of talking about hair and, and wardrobe, um, James uh, asked me my bra and underwear size, went lingerie shopping, yeah. uh, bought me, you know, those like little chicken cutlets that you put in your bra to give yourself cleavage. Um, he bought those and oh, was goodness. thrilled. Literally the first day of filming, uh, my dad dropped me off. And the first thing he said to me was put this in your shirt, um, which <laughs> I, I, I will say kind of, flavors the entire journey as as we go on it's it's very much that um so yeah the, that was probably three well, three weeks later and yeah, he wanted well, me to dye my hair blonde like paris hilton specifically oh okay um, you know that makes sense <laughs> looking back at what the way the style and everything and the look the, that you had that makes sense that that's why that choice was made what was the first scene that you shot uh, the first scene was the restaurant date um, with Rod, a.k.a. Okay. Allen. Um, and, um, you know, now that I said it out loud, the blonde hair is interesting because he didn't give me, obviously, um, Tippy Hedren is sort of the touchstone for right. a role like this, obviously. this <laughs> I, I would say it borrows lightly from the birds. <laughs> it's certainly in that an inspiration <laughs> in that there are birds. Um, so I would, I would think that he would point to Tippi Hedren, but also, you know, now having lots of room from the filming of it, I think his directorial style, if it could be called that, um, was borrowed pretty heavily um, from Alfred Hitchcock because I heard that he was kind of a monster on set uh, on the birds. And so yeah. I, I wonder if uh, he got that in his head to like treat his actors in that way. Yeah. Didn't Tippi Hedren yeah. was like done with acting after that. Right. She was pretty traumatized. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, and then that was a, that was a tough film anyway. Wasn't it Hitchcock who said something along the lines of that actors weren't cattle, but they should be treated like cattle. 
Yeah, and that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how many films had James done at this point? Was this still like his first his first big project, or was had it had he had something no. else that he had done? He had, I believe, one finished movie, um, and maybe one half finished movie. I ended up actually reaching out to uh, an actress from his previous movie um her, by the name of Jen Gotson wow. a lovely lovely woman um uh, because i was having difficulty with james and mm. she gave me some advice and uh that was about i would say probably like 4 4 out into the 7 months of shooting wow. <laughs> the interviews i've seen with james one he it, it seems like he really believes that this is like going to compete with marvel movies and did he definitely come across that way or was he kind of uh, of that intensity? Like this is, this is going to be on par with a major summer blockbuster. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll answer that. There's, there's a lot of uh, directions to take that Um, short (laughs) answer. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, The the entire time it was, this is going to be your breakout role. You're going to be a big Hollywood blonde actress, always (laughs) very specific about the use of blonde. Um, (laughs) But beyond that, even shooting, you know, we'd ask questions and, and I'm sure you can imagine that the 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 way it was shot, we didn't think it was going to be good. We thought it was going to be a, a great opportunity to practice and, you know, no one would ever see it, of course. Um, but it's still from then to, you know, the the um, from then to the sort of like big premiere that we had in L.A. and the tour and then Pandemic 2, it just kind of it grew his ego in such a way that made him feel more entitled to that and made him feel more entitled to um, the uh, big Hollywood director experience, which Mm. we can get into. There's, there's a sort of a fine line. I'm a big like John Waters fan. I'm a big fan of B movies and of cult cinema. And Mm. there is an almost exploitative, exploitative, aspect to it because he is at the end of the day unwell and he Mm. is um you know a pretty delusional person but also like really taught me a lot of lessons about how people who are not well can also have a moral compass that is not quite aligned let's say Mm. and um so to make your question into a very long answer um (laughs) yes he certainly did yes he thought he was going to get a 20 million dollar picture deal after the first pandemic and then obviously having additional press and getting to make a second one, you know, it didn't, it, it didn't help with the humility. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even today, like if, if he's not here, I might like, bring him out to shock you or something, but I mean, if he was here, he would really think that what he was doing was great movies, right? Like, is he sitting there going like, we come on being like, no, Birdemic was a great movie. When all of us look at it and say, Hey, it's almost like this cult classic that we love because it wasn't that great of a movie. I think his takeaway is that people like it. And oh, okay. I think his, his takeaway is, I, mean, I remember after the first couple screenings, he would say, you know, the birds, like they don't look that bad. If you squint yeah. your eyes a little bit, they, <laughs> they, look, they look good. And so I think that he feels that he was very clear in his messaging. And I think that he is already, you know, has, uh, 
has some feelings that he's sort of an auteur. And um, so I, I do think that he would stand by it. Uh, but not that he would be interested in talking to me. He's threatened to sue me mm-hmm. um, several yeah. times for going on blogs and talking about my experience. So yeah. in the well, process of the making the film, uh, you know, as as uh, convoluted as the the plot of the film might be, or uh, uh, the the messaging of the film, there's a couple of threads through the movie that seem to be very clear, such as his uh, you know his concern for you know uh, the climate change and uh, green technologies and these kinds of things that that crops up a couple of times, even though I wouldn't say it's a clear through through line that thematically this is what it's about was that something that he discussed with you all uh in talking about the film did you have a sense that it had any type of message like that to it Uh, well let me say first um we never received the whole script yes that was a follow-up question like how much of this did you know what was happening next we got the first third and he said he wanted the end to be a surprise for us and so you know there's another red flag for you (laughs) (laughs) and and as a child i'm like oh how how interesting how how weird and then obviously throughout the course of filming and having the experience of him as a person and how he treated me and and just random people on the streets as he was trying to like get people out of his shot um you know that that illusion kind of falls away um we didn't really have an explicit discussion about green tech or about things like that you know it's it's clear in the um you know the the parts of the script that we did get that that was a priority but you know that was not a conversation that we really had so as much as that might be in the film the there was may not have been that much of an attempt to make it a green set for, yeah. for oh <laughs> no 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 i mean sure there green, wasn't the resources for that but yeah green maybe in the sense that we used his actual van that was yeah. his <laughs> van and and that's where we would take our breaks and eat our lunch and oh, travel yeah. so carpooling was a thing and that's green i guess yes <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta ask this and, and you know you're 18 um, Alan was, you know, it was his first gig too. Was there ever a sense? And I, I'm trying to be funny here, but the when you guys first met in the movie, like at the restaurant, it's before you dated when he saw you for the first time. I felt like me in college, like when I approached girls in college, I was like awkward. Huh? How are you doing? How are you doing? And that was not just a video of me trying to approach girls in college. That was the movie. What was behind the dialogue seemed kind of awkward. Maybe I'm missing in a certain branch of movies, but did you guys sense that when you started to record that? Like, was he approachable to the point where you could say, hey, could we improvise a little bit? Could we liven this up a little bit? Oh, I think I think I, I see where you're, you're getting at, and um, no. So okay. the, uh, the the whole thing, and and I think what so many people find kind of charming about Birdemic, and, and I, I also... I mean, I've watched the movie too many times to count. I have a oh, drinking yeah. game for it that has oh, wow. gotten me through many screenings. And <laughs> uh, and I, I obviously find it very funny as well. And I think part of the charm is that the lines are no not anything that any human would ever say, right? And um, <laughs> James was very, very insistent that um, we sort of um stick exactly to his wording and and don't okay. deviate from his wording at all and uh, yeah. and that was that was a, a topic of contention 
I think several times because, you know, as you can see when you watch the movie, it's like they're, they're not exactly naturalistic lines, but yeah. as an auteur, as you know, the way James thinks of himself, it's like, no one is going to bastardize my vision. Right. Yeah. But it was really strange. And like the continuity, I mean, even like there was a lot of driving and there was like once I think he was driving to work and Alan stops and gets gas. Like there was all these lines. And like when you talk to your mother in the movie and you know, it was like, let's don't take any line away. If let's take the whole conversation put together, it seemed like there was a lot of weird continuity stuff with that movie too. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, with, with the driving, I think the consensus is pretty much that he wanted to get his money's worth with the rental oh. of, the, <laughs> of the Mustang. Oh, okay. And uh, oh, okay. so that's pro possibly why it's so featured, but also, you know, I, like I mentioned, there wasn't really a back half of the movie. And yeah. so, um, I think that at a certain point, it's just like, how can I film 90 minutes? Did he want to make a romantic comedy? Because, again, I knew nothing about the movie before I saw it. I almost messaged Paul because I kept on, I was on Amazon Prime. I kept on hitting pause going, did I flip to a different movie? Because we saw this love story with you guys for 45 minutes. And I'm like, there's no birds. There's nothing. There's just like love story. Yeah, was that his vision? Because it almost was like, "Hey, this may work as a romantic comedy or something." You know, yeah, I, I was confused by that whole part too. Yeah, James. Well, he has branded himself as the master of the romantic thriller, so okay. I think that 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 should answer your question. That's, right. that's his whole his <laughs> whole genre. Yeah, forty six minutes in, all of a sudden, exploding birds. And yes, yes. You you definitely don't see it coming at that point. Yeah. 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 It's um, and the the whole the coat hanger thing. I mean, I've, I've talked about this in in interviews before. That was um an improvisation from James, who um realized that the 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 rack that the coat hanger goes on was not easily the plan was to remove it from the hotel. So we had sort of like a bat. Um, but obviously oh. those are secure <laughs> and so they're not coming the, up there the, yeah so the coat hangers were sort of a you know a, a really lovely <laughs> bit of serendipity because it ended up being kind of one of the trademarks of the movie and um <laughs> at the uh at the premiere in los angeles we had coat hangers that had the logo printed on it and wow. so i i think that that's just one of you know as a fan also um you know i i don't want to come across too jaded because i do even though the experience sure. filming was um, pretty traumatic, I'll be honest. Um, I still have such a love and also such a reverence for what it takes to make a, a no budget movie. And, um, having experienced that process myself, I, I understand the, the stress and the having to sort of like make decisions on the fly. And I think that that is why people are ultimately so charmed by it because you can see like, despite everything, this guy just really wanted to make his movie happen. And he did. Yeah. And then he made another. <laughs> yeah. I, I've never had a movie like that. I, I watch movies all the time. I'm thinking, I was like thinking about Bird Democrat Week. It was just, there's so much going on there. It was just really crazy. I, I got to think too, I've got an eight-year-old girl. How were your parents like, and you're 18, you're a woman, you can make your own choices, you're an adult. Were they at all weirded out? Because like when they're asking you about, you know, your underwear size, lingerie size and everything else. Yeah, you had a love scene in the movie. Uh, how did your parents take for the 18-year-old girl to be going for that? I mean, you're an adult, but it seemed kind of strange the way some of those things came about. 
Absolutely. I think that it's not, I mean, obviously for actors, that's a conversation for young actors. That's a conversation that has to be had with parents is like, okay, there's a love scene. And, uh, you know, obviously I have a great relationship with my parents and, Mm -hmm. you know, they have always supported me in, um, in my pursuits. And so they, they came around to it. They weren't, my dad was like, I will close my eyes at that point. (laughs) Um, but my, my dad is a lawyer, uh, retired now and he, uh, sent quite a few legal letters to James and actually got himself at one point uninvited to the premiere in San Francisco um, <laughs> because he was he sent him like an official like this is such a uh, like daughter move is my, my sisters and I anytime someone was like you know doing doing something uncouth is he would just write a letter to them with like his official like legal letterhead and (laughs) you know that was enough for for james to be and it was about him not paying me um and uh that was enough to get him uninvited so (laughs) my dad gary he is uh not he's he's on james's shit list as am i as are we all well Um, i guess i'm saying that because hey love things happening as part of being a hollywood I, i totally get that but you know i've seen on youtube and heard from various people how the guy didn't pay and everything. And I would imagine if I'm a parent, eight year old's doing a love scene and everything. I'm like, Hey, at least pay her. You know, if I'm cool for doing a love scene, at least pay her for that. So, I mean, that would have to, you know, freak out a parent. I'm sure. Yeah. I think, um, you know, m- my parents w- took a step back because this is, you know, my journey. And so I wasn't telling them like the, you know, also as a first project, you don't want to complain. You don't want to be the right. actor that complains on set. And so I really held a lot of the stuff, a lot of the abuse that I endured on set um, to myself and yeah. uh, and didn't really talk about it until years later because I didn't want to be perceived as difficult. No, yeah, Oh, Paul? I, I'm curious. Uh, the The reason I first found Birdemic was because of Rift Tracks. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, being on the kind of the victim of their riffing, what what was that like for you to find out that they were going to do it? And... Thrilling. <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing short of thrilling. I'm a huge, I'm a huge MST3K fan. I'm a huge Rift Tracks fan. Um, I mean, honestly, this this whole thing was like we didn't know that the movie was going to get picked up until a year later. And I had just sort of like a, like a trigger of anxiety and just like having being confronted with like that man's existence and with like, you know, cause like I said, this is a movie that we figured no one would see and like, haha, it's bad. And we all watched it in San Francisco, our friends and family. And we were like, okay, that'll never see the light of day. And then when it sort of started to pick up as this cult thing, um, mm-hmm. it was a, a mix of emotions between like, oh, I, I never want to have to deal with this man again. Um, but also like, this is something that I have been a fan of for so long. Like I, I love B movies, like I mentioned. And so, um, it was cool to be sort of ingratiated into that community. And now I, you know, I don't have any regrets because I have met so many amazing filmmakers and best friends just through that community. Um, plus I got to meet Weird Al, which was very cool. cool. Nice. <laughs> and how did cool. this get made? Um, yeah. And they, they are always, you know, the Rift Tracks guys, uh, the how did this get made guys, like the, they're very kind to me because they know, like, you know, I was just sort of like a cog in the wheel of, of this man's wild dream. Um, sure. And, uh, and I also, you know, 
as as just like a performer have been you know obviously people will say say mean things but like as anyone creative i'm sure that you guys in your own like creative pursuits can <laughs> can imagine how little that would affect you because like everybody starts somewhere everybody has their first bad project and so you know when people say it and they're like oh she's a bad actress because it points to this movie. It's like, can you, can you imagine if uh, you did that with literally any other creative person of like, <laughs> look at the drawing that they made when they were 12. Absolutely. They'll never do anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. I, I've experienced a, a number of uh, low budget filmmaking uh, things from graduate school and a couple of things afterwards. And, you know, I can hearing the stories, I can only, I can relate so much to everything that you're talking about, trying to make something out of yeah. nothing with nothing and how stressful the process can be and how easy it is for people to try to start taking advantage of other people in that process. Uh, yeah. And then just have having a product at the end of which you're just happy it was done. Like, yeah. And, and that's all you really wanted out of it. But I can only imagine somebody digging up that material and trying to judge you based on it. Like, hey, completely. <laughs> I mean, that's that's sort of the whole humiliating thing about being an artist is that you have to grow and you have to grow publicly. And that's why I'm right. so reticent to call James Wynn a bad artist, because I don't think of art in terms of good or bad. I think that there are a lot of um, factors at play in terms of how you treat people and the resources right. that you prioritize and where you refuse help that can add to a bad product, which is birdemic. Um, but I mean, ultimately, could could James turn it around and become a truly good filmmaker? Maybe. I mean, I think maybe if if he um studied or, or took sort of a, a student's mentality right. um, a little bit more instead of an auteur mentality. Right. I think that that's, I think that that's possible. Even approaching the process more as a collaboration to say, my job on this film is to allow everybody else who's working with it the chance to do the best work that they can do given our circumstances and our resources. Yeah. And then, then you're into a process that, that doesn't damage, you know, looking back on it, the, uh, the experience or even the product. Yeah, uh, and you yeah. know, give them give them lunch every once in a while. Every yeah. once in a while, just a lunch. <laughs> Maybe you don't have to eat in the van every day. All right. <laughs> exactly. Like I said, having done some of this kind of thing, and again, back to some of your process and this long uh, shooting schedule, it and with a lot of time in between, most of the things that I've done have been very concentrated time periods where the madness is trying to cram everything into a couple of days or maybe even a week. Um, I, I, I can only imagine the difficulty for a lot of actors in film that very few people who've never done it can't appreciate is the challenge is trying to remember what I was doing in that scene that I shot, you know, three days ago. And I can only imagine that being even more intense if that was three or four months ago. Was there a lot of reshooting scenes or trying to connect scenes that you had shot a really long time ago that, or, <laughs> yes. or, or, or what? like, uh, it would be so much easier if we were shooting this sequence and we shot it that day and you were done 
yeah. then it's just trying to connect it to something else. But do, so there was a lot of having to go back and reshoot things or. Yes. Well, it. initially a, a, a lot of the movie was shot on green screen. Um, and I kind of wish that. Really? Saw the light of day. <laughs> yeah, yes. So the pumpkin festival, oh, the, the, pumpkin festival. Um, the dance club, the, yeah. <laughs> just a, a lot of it um, was just shot like, in a garage in front of a green screen, which, which I would love to see. Um, and also <laughs> shot, shot that love scene probably two or three times. Oh, had, to, had to go back to that one. Oh my. <laughs> well, didn't you say something? I was watching like one of the, um, you know, reunions that the, you did, like you were in a motel six, like literally shot in a motel six or did I, I misunderstand that. Yes, yeah, just a I think it was a motel six um wow. or or a motel similar to that, but you know they don't they don't typically check on filming permits, so I think okay. that that in, informed a lot of the decisions that were made well, well, I remember you saying how it was awkward because it kind of gross, like I think you say, oh, I'm barefoot in a motel six, oh, that's gross, you know, so <laughs> man yes, and the the foot community has roasted me to oh, know end about how dirty my feet are in that scene oh, I can yeah, as if it had nothing to do with the room itself. Yes. I, yeah, I, I I've learned my my lesson. Yes, I I can imagine. I've heard stories, and I'm just that's one time you're not playing. Never on going to. Yeah, I'll leave half the internet alone and just like go. So, um, but you, I generally felt generally felt bad for you having to try to move the bed and block the window from the birds. Yes. Yeah. While yeah. In, while in your 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 skimpy wardrobe, like that's not a something that you really want to have to do. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna you move know, furniture while I'm scantily clad. It's kind of one of those things where it's like you the goalposts keep getting moved, and like I, to not to bring it down too far, but like those who have been in abusive relationships might relate to this, and I certainly can. It's like once you're kind of in something, yeah, it doesn't matter what the next thing is. It's like you're already in it, yeah. and you're just trying to get through it. And certainly with like, I mean, pretty much every bit of like crazy shit that went down in in that movie was like all right we're in this let's just like why why fight about this thing why fight about this thing because like we're and um you know to to show to like contrast that is is i did for a moment fight james on something and he didn't talk to me for three weeks he directed me through alan because I um, suggested we take a break. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I know. I was compared to Catherine Hagel a lot uh, oh. in those times because she was going through her Grey's Anatomy. I don't even remember. She probably just like said something about Grey's Anatomy and was just lambasted by everybody. And so that that mm. was the nickname that I got from him for a couple weeks. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I'm so sorry for that. Oh, that's okay. I'm having a great time. I, I, I hope you understand. I'm, I, um, I can laugh sense. about these things now. Yeah. And, yeah. and also, um, have, have it just, it honestly has James was right in a way because it has helped my career, not in the way that he probably anticipated, but I have met some amazing collaborators through it. Yeah. So that's mm -hmm. great. <laughs> Well, before we get there, was there anything else from that second part of the movie? Because I got to admit, my wife was visiting some family. I watched the first hour of the movie. 
I watched the second, like the last like 30 minutes with her. And she's like, what is going on here? And I'm like, you wouldn't understand. It's way too much. It's complicated, too much to explain. How do you even begin to describe it too? Yeah. I can't. Yeah. yeah. Well, she, she's like, do they have kids? Because that's when you guys were running around with the kids and everything. I'm like, well, it was kind of like a uh, quick adoption, I guess. When you rescue a kid out from underneath a car and another yeah. kid from a trunk, yeah. and it's instant family, you know. Oh, those poor kids. <laughs> the birds had to be the most stunning thing from that, right? The way they were just like hovering there. And did that kind of shock you the most of like all the crazy stuff happened last half of the movie? At, at that point, um, when we started to discuss what the graphics would look like, it was already, we had been through a bunch of reshoots and we had been through, um, you know, just sort of the hell of shooting. And so our expert, our expectations were non-existent. We, uh, we yeah. weren't even sure it was going to be finished. And he said that he had a, uh, he hired like a kid who's going to college for, um, for visual effects. And so we were like, all right, it was, watching it because he did have sort of a premiere with friends and family in San Francisco and everyone drank a lot of wine. And, you know, obviously we were laughing so hard and okay. in a way it was sort of special because we weren't sure we were allowed to laugh because obviously right. at that point it was not, it was to be taken seriously. And so it was just sort of like, um, like, Oh my God, this is insane to, to be witnessing. Um, but to answer your question, the, the expectations were low. We were really like, I don't know if we could imagine them being that bad, but we did, certainly didn't imagine them as being good. Well, at least we were horrified. I mean, I can imagine the reaction would be, oh my goodness, you know, what are they doing in my career? What's happening here? I mean, we are able to be a good sport about it, I guess. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, uh, oh! I just was gonna say I didn't have a career at that point. That yes. was I was still living in the Bay Area. I I still you know even even to the point of the um, the screening, I was just like, oh, this is funny, and this will be an inside joke with my friends, and you know, then I'll then I'll move to LA and start going on real sets, which I then did. Um, but it it followed me, and uh, and I'm happy for it. Yeah, well, remind me because I. I haven't tracked everybody that's been in the movie, how they're doing right now. But I know maybe tell our listeners that don't know how to access your IMBD. I mean, you've done a lot of uh, movies and other stuff. I mean, you've actually made a good career and probably Birdemic helped you get there. Just the lessons you learned from that. But tell us about the other stuff you've done. I mean, you've had a pretty impressive career. Yeah, I um, I have done a number of TV horror movies. Some some I like, some are not as good, but don't touch the realm of Birdemic. Um, and <laughs> sort of the other thing that I got into as a fan of sort of underground culture is um, my my main gig for the last decade that I, I just came up on my decade in Los Angeles, and um, I have been a host for DC comics for um, uh, lots of like sci-fi, lots of sort of nerd fringe news outlets. Um, and also I'm a huge heavy metal fan. And so I uh, have worked with music outlets. And so that has been sort of, that's also informed my own writing. I, it took me, it took me to quarantine, honestly, to really take stock in, in my own writing. And so I've been also uh, making my own films. I, I shot a film in November that has been making the festival circuit and, um, the, the process it takes. And, and that's why I sort of like, e even though, 
you know, James like caused a lot of trauma. I, I still have reverence for anyone who is able to make their dream a reality and anyone who is able to go through the process of filmmaking. It is a hell process and, yeah. um, and, and really pursue it and, and make their dreams. Now I will say that with the caveat of like, do it and be good to people because, yeah. you know, you know, you form relationships that, that benefit you. Um, but yeah, that I, I, um, have been doing lots in like the, the nerd space and, uh, and filmmaking and, and just am enjoying myself so much. I, I, I love Los Angeles and I love the, uh, the creative process, even though it's scary right now. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I, are you guys just kind of waiting for some of the restrictions to be lifted a little bit before you guys can get back to doing what you're doing? Yeah, filming has uh, sort of started to kick up again. Um, I I made my short film. It's called Palm Swings um, in in Palm Springs in November. So that was sort of really at the height of the pandemic and yeah. um, wanted to just get out for a little while and, and make some stuff. So creativity is happening. I also um, have been my sort of quarantine projects is Tower Records got recently um recently rebooted, I guess is, is the word. And they were meant to launch at South by Southwest last year, but obviously that didn't happen. And so I have been right. working with them, um, interviewing musicians on their Instagram. And I, I love interviewing people. I love uh, asking about creative process. So that's been a real treat for me as well is, is getting to sort of hear, I don't know about you guys and, and if you play music, but I do not. And I don't have an understanding of how yeah. music theory works. I, I just have such a reverence. It's so, it's so like mystical to me. And, uh, and I, I love music. And so I love to sort of interview these, these musicians and ask them about, you know, to kind of demystifying it for me and also explaining that their quarantine has been just as hellish. And, you know, we're all sort of in the same boat together. So that's, right. that's been a really fun project. What do you think we expect from TV movies? Obviously, we're still having TV and we're still having movies. But, like, I've heard that once quarantine ends officially, I mean, we're going to have every band in the world, you know, touring. It's going to be crazy. You think we'll see more TV and movies? I mean, it, it may be a golden era for entertainment, you know, once COVID, you know, slows down a little bit. I'm really hoping so. Um, this year was really unkind to a lot of media companies, uh, a lot of film studios, and uh, of course, um, Arclight Cinema, which is sort of a, a beloved chain in Los Angeles, um, shut down recently. And so, you know, everyone is really going through it. And I think everyone's really hoping that once we're on the out, once we're on the other end of this, um, we can go back to it tenfold. I know that movie theaters sort of just started opening up at, at limited capacity and and mm -hmm. i'm very excited for that experience i've missed it so much concerts i've missed so much so yes. i do feel like yeah. people will be ready to jump in in a way they never have and appreciate it in a way that they have never had if only we can keep these venues alive and these yeah. theaters alive in the meantime exactly um, yeah it, sh it should be interesting um it, Kind of on the Birdemic 3, and obviously, you know, there's issues with James from what you've detailed uh, through the interview. I guess it's a franchise enough. I mean, I'm kind of questioning. I mean, I guess James needs to make money, too. That's why he's trying to bring Birdemic 3. I know you said you, you're not going to be part of it. Is uh, Do we need a Birdemic 3? I mean, do you see – I'm wondering if the audience is going to be there for it. Do you think there will be enough people watching it for, for him to be able to make it make sense? 
I think that people will watch it um, just to see what he does. And I think that that's sort of the intent behind um, Severin, who, you know, are all my buddies. And and obviously I do not like begrudge them at all for giving him money to to make his movie. Although now sort of in a in a post Me Too era where women feel comfortable talking about being harassed and and protecting each other. I feel a little differently knowing the experience I had with him um, encouraging other actors to join his set. I think that, you know, I, I hope that I've done a good job of putting a warning out that obviously I know more than anybody, any other actor that like you take the jobs when you can get them. And so, you know, I don't think it's any, any actor's fault for taking it, but just to be warned that um, he runs a set in a certain way and is kind of an explosive character. Um, That said, I I did return for Birdemic 2. There were contracts in place saying he wasn't allowed to get drunk on set or, you know, anything like that. And so I did feel a little bit more protected that time around. Um, And to answer your question about whether people, whether it should happen, that gets into murky territory for me because I also like, it it gets back to that exploitative thing with like, you know, he's not a well person. And at how, um, at what point are you just sort of like watering someone's delusions, right? Is this someone, is this ultimately like a net good or a net bad for a person like James? Um, I don't have an answer for that. Um, I know that he is still pursuing his dream and I can't blame anybody for that. Well, there was a movie right when COVID started that I watched. It was kind of like a weird lifetime movie about a pandemic similar to COVID and a little, mm-hmm. not slapstick, but you know, lifetime can be, unbelievable at times. It actually kind of made me chuckle a little bit. Kind of made a scary situation like COVID be a little bit more fun. And I I guess a goofy idea of something about before the interview is I was kind of thinking like Sharknado is a fun movie. You know, it's Mm -hmm. over the top. It's crazy. It's kind of fun. It definitely takes the level that James wasn't able to hit with Birdemic. But see, here's my idea. I don't think James could ever think about a clever movie like Sharknado can we either take the franchise away from James or could we call it dog emic or, you know, some other <laughs> animal with that? I think you could have a franchise. If you want to put your name behind it, you could be on for the next 30 years because, you know, we want <laughs> something to take our mind off COVID. There's so many people you could bring in there. I mean, I bet you Fauci might make an appearance because, you know, starting all these celebrities are making appearances. It's all fun and everything. I mean, I, I think that's, we need to make this a happy ending here. Yeah, well, I it first of all, it absolutely is a happy ending. It, right. You know, there's I despite despite the shade I've been throwing, it is still like it, it okay. gave so much to me in my life. And uh and also you bring up an interesting point, Chris, which is um whether and I think this is kind of what you were angling in asking about whether a Birdemic three should happen, because part of the charm of Birdemic was that it is unintentional camp. And yeah. then mm-hmm. there's intentional camp like Sharknado. Um I love of both. Uh, but I think it's very, very difficult to go from something unintentionally campy into intentional campy and yeah. remain sincere. And because yeah. sincerity is the thing that people love. Sincerity is the thing that um, everyone is that is so appealing about these sort of B movies, right? It's like, despite everything, you really believe in your vision. Um, so <laughs> that said, I don't think James would ever let go of the Britannic franchise. I think he <laughs> thinks that's his bread and butter. Oh, um, and and that remains to be seen. Maybe, maybe I will 
come up with my own line of disaster movies where uh, <laughs> people are treated amazingly on set. Everybody gets pedicures every oh, day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Dude, That'd we be just great. have to, and we can't poke fun at COVID. This is serious. So, you know, we're always encouraging people to keep it safe, mask up, and all of good stuff. But we just think once we get out of it, something fun to kind of look back at the odd moments of it. And just, I don't know. I, I, that's my dream. Maybe, and that's why I'm probably a journalist and not a Hollywood producer, but you know how that goes. So. Yeah. Well, you've got to be able to laugh. I mean, gallows humor is the thing that gets us through the hardest times, right? It's very yeah. true. Fantastic. <laughs> well, Whitney, we appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I, uh, I, I thank you. It was great. We took this movie birdemic that our mouths were gaping open. We didn't know how to react. <laughs> and instead of us just guessing, it was great having someone who's there and did it. Um, so thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Anything else you want to add that we haven't asked? Thank you so, so much for having me. It's been um, healing to talk about. It's always yeah, funny, the memories good. that come flooding back. Um, I would just like to say that um, if anyone is interested in what I'm up to, um, I've got a newsletter where I promote um, music and art uh, that I find around the web. Um, you can find it at gimmemore.com. And I also have a podcast as well um, called Deliver Us from Disney. My best friend, Ani Baker, was raised in a very strict fundamentalist household and was not allowed to watch Disney growing up and I am a huge metalhead and so we have a podcast where I show her all the Disney movies she missed and we decide how <laughs> satanic they really are it's also a very uh, don't listen to it in public or out loud it's we got a lot of a lot of swears um, <laughs> but that, that's what I'm up to and and just thank you for having me it's that's been great. a real honor Thank you All so right, much, well, hang on to you for a second afterwards. And hey, everyone, thanks for checking the Highland. Like I said, we talk about a lot of Ohio stuff. We talk about a lot of pop culture, too. And we gave you this here. Uh, we'll put this out as a special segment for you. So, hey, let us know what you think. Check our sponsors. And thanks for listening in. And Whitney, thanks for you so much for your time. Have a great Thank day, you. everybody.